All right, that's enough loving on each other now. Let's behave. So glad that, uh, that you're here for our, our last night. And, uh, you know, I uh, just want you to know that uh, this is a highlight for my year. To be able to come, what I and my family, we uh, consider this, this home. If, if I croak, y'all, I'm going to be thrown in the dirt in, in New Philadelphia. Um, this is, what, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Are you guys planning on arranging that tonight or something? But uh, yeah, my 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 soul is uh, in, in in this this place. I, I I can't get over it. Y'all messed me up. And uh, Pastor Jeff, again, I appreciate the opportunity. You are the man. And uh, so this week we've been trying to stay as positive as we can. In, in looking at what biblical salvation really is. And of course, in anything that is good, we've also got to talk about what comes against that. And, and so e- each night, what I've been trying to do is, uh, because I know that the vast majority of you have not been able to be here for the morning sessions, and I would encourage you uh, to get those CDs, DVDs, or whatever, because you know I'm covering, uh, wh- I don't know, what might be considered some of the hairy verses uh, relative to Calvinism, but these guys in the morning sessions have hit about 150. Uh, I- I'm, I'm, as of tonight, we'll hit number three and number four. Um, but you're not surprised, are you? That's... I'm, 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 yeah, always slow. But I, I've been trying to just kind of share with you why I'm not a Calvinist. And, you know, I've had several people mention this to me. You know, I, when, when I pastored here in the, the 25 years that I lived here, I, I felt like we were kind of on an island. And I loved it. Because it, it wasn't, you know, we were doing our thing here. And we, you know, you know if you're doing that thing out there, okay, that's cool. We're, we're doing our thing. And, and I think it's still that way. And I think you may not understand what's actually happening out there. This Calvinism thing is pandemic. I mean, it, it is in the younger generation and the voices that they are listening to hard to find somebody that is not constantly blasting them with Calvinism. And it is becoming more and more accepted. And so we are having this conference to to say, listen, there is a biblical approach to this book, and let's stick with it. These passages do not teach that. So every night, I've been trying to say why I'm not a Calvinist, and that leads me into the sixth one tonight. I'm not a Calvinist because none of the so-called Calvinist verses actually teach Calvinism when we simply stick with the text and keep the verses in their context. And those are the two principles of Bible study that I've been trying to pound Every night this week, uh, I've been trying to, with the passages that we've looked at, that 
the Calvinist can't see anything other than Calvinist theology in that. And, and so we've been trying to say that if you just go to the text and let the text be the text and keep the verses in their context, yeah, you can't make it say what they say that it says. And, and so tonight we're going to look at a, a, another one that... Uh, you know, again, remember we started talking about that guy on the deserted island with his Bible and, and the Spirit of God in his soul. Pastor Jeff was kind to remind us this morning that he might need some food there. So presuming he had food and he had his Bible and the Spirit of God in him, this might be one of those verses that got up on his radar that he didn't quite know how to answer. Maybe you found this to be the case. What about this verse in Acts chapter 13? And verse 48, it says, and, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Oh. Okay. Now, now sometimes when, when we're wanting to find out what, what a verse or a passage is actually saying, Sometimes it's unbelievably helpful for us to first identify what it doesn't say. And that's what I want to do as we begin to talk about Acts chapter 13 and verse 48 tonight. Okay, now we're going to cover this one just as quickly as I possibly can so we can get on to another one tonight. So I didn't want to come to the end of this and everybody think, yay, we're going home. Okay, no, there's another one after that. Okay, so don't get too excited. But let's note some of the things the text does not say. It doesn't say, and as many as were preordained by God's unconditional election believed. It doesn't say that at all. But again, with that Calvinist filter laid over the Bible, sometimes it appears like that might be what it's saying. The word isn't preordained, but what? Ordained. And there's nothing in this verse whatsoever about election, much less unconditional election. And note next, it doesn't say, and as many as were predestined by God's sovereign right to extend grace to whom he will believed. No. The verse doesn't mention anything about something that God did. And then note next that it doesn't say, and as many as were chosen to salvation before the foundation of the world believed. No, that was last night's verse. And there's nothing about that in this verse. In fact, and this is, I put it as a note in your, your study sheet, verse 48 doesn't say anything about any act of God toward individuals, but rather the attitude of men toward the gospel. I don't expect you to fully comprehend that at this moment, but in the next few moments, I believe that you will. But let's look at it again. 
The verse doesn't say anything about an act of God toward individuals, but rather the attitude of men like me and you toward the gospel. And, and, and as I've been, been saying with all the verses that we've been looking at this week, we've got to make sure that we do not read things into the text that just aren't there. And so those are some things that the text doesn't say. And, and then next, uh, let's look at what the text actually says when the verses are kept in their context. And, and so let's, let's begin looking in Acts chapter 13. If you, it would probably be helpful for you to have your, your Bible open to it, though the verses will be up there. Uh, I, I think it might be helpful to see it in your Bible. But what's happening here is Dr. Luke is reporting uh, on the things that were taking place in Paul and Barnabas, uh, their, their first missionary journey. And you'll notice, look back in verses 2 and 3, that they're sent out of their home church in Antioch of Syria to spread the gospel, to plant churches. And in verses 4 through 13, Luke talks about some of the various places that they went on that first missionary journey. And we pick up now, okay, the immediate context of the verse in question tonight, the immediate context of verse 48 actually picks up in verse 14, where Luke says that they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue and sat down. And so verse 15 then tells us what happens once Paul and Barnabas got into the synagogue. The, the rabbis in that church, after the reading of the, the law and the prophets, which was obviously a Jewish custom in, in that, the, their Sabbath day gatherings to read a, a, a scripture reading. A lot of churches still do that to this day. And so as they're, they're reading through that, they look out into the audience, and lo and behold, they see some distinguished guests in their assembly. And you've got to understand that Paul was a big deal at this period of time because he was a brainiac. He, he was trained. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and uh, man, that was just a, that was a big thing. And, and so the rabbis in the synagogue, they do the morning scripture reading. They see Paul and Barnabas out there, and, and they say, hey, listen, if one of y'all want to bust the word to, to this morning, why don't you come up here and give it to us, man? And so course they have no idea what they're really getting in for because Paul is the man when it comes to the gospel and so buddy you can rest assured if Paul's going to have audience with that group of people they're getting ready to get the gospel that's what Paul did man he passionately proclaimed the gospel that's why we're all still breathing God's air you do understand that right so that we can boldly proclaim the gospel to the people that are around us. And so Paul stands up in verse 16, and in verse 17, he begins his message. And from verse 17, what he does is he starts working them through their Jewish history, marking you know, the various highlights along the way, starting with the Exodus in verse 17, 
and he's working them through. Drop down to verse 22. He takes them up to David. And he wants to get to David so that he could tell, tell him about the one that they had heard about who was called the son of David. Verse 23. So he could bring them to Jesus. And Paul starts stepping the Jews and the Jewish proselytes in that synagogue. He starts stepping them through who Jesus was and what he came to do. And would you look at the end of verse 26, how that, don't miss this now, how that salvation was found in him. And so he steps them through the gospel. Look at verse 28. In verse 28, he talks to them about Christ's death. Verse 29, he, he talks about his burial. In verse 30, about his resurrection. And, and then he goes on from verses 30 to 37 to detail all of that. And in verse 38, Paul starts the conclusion of his message. He preaches a lot faster than me. Or the people listened a lot faster than you. Okay? And it says... Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you, don't you love this, y'all? The forgiveness of sins. Anybody here thankful for the forgiveness of sins tonight? And by him. How many, y'all? And by him, all that are chosen before the foundation of the world. It's what we've seen all week. All that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. And you know what's happening here? This is, this is what we looked at on Monday night in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. The, the people in, in this church, in, in Antioch of Pisidia, let me, let me get arranged here. I, I move too much, yo. But listen now, the, the people in the synagogue here at Antioch of Pisidia had been sanctified or set apart for the proclamation of the gospel. And that's just happened. Paul has boldly proclaimed the death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel of Christ, and now it's going to be up to them whether or not they would believe it and receive it, or whether they would reject it. And in verses 40 and 41... You know what he does? He warns them about the consequences of them choosing not to believe. And verse 42 says that after the service, the, the Gentiles in the community asked Paul if he'd stick around till the next Sabbath day and preach to them what he had just preached to the Jews. And so in verse 44... We fast forward a week, and it says that on that next Sabbath day, almost the whole city came together to hear the Word of God. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing in Tuscross County? Wow! In verse 45, 
when the Jews he had preached to the previous week who were still contemplating this whole thing of who Jesus was and the forgiveness of sins that was offered through his death, burial, and resurrection. And verse 45 says, they were filled with envy. They don't like the fact that they, as Jews, were going to have to receive Christ by believing the gospel just like the sorry Gentiles were being permitted to do. And verse 45 lets you know that their prejudice and their disdain for the Gentiles and the fact that God would include in, in his offer of salvation to all, to include these sorry Gentiles, you know what's getting ready to happen? It's, it's about to cause them to miss this incredible gift of eternal life that God was graciously giving them the ability to respond to. Verse 45 says that rather than choosing to believe the gospel, look at what it says, they began speaking against Paul's message of the gospel, and, and they began contradicting and blaspheming. And verse 46 says that Paul and Barnabas get up in their stuff about the reaction that they had, and they boldly say to them, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you because the gospel was to the Jew, what? First, and also to the Gentiles, and they go on. But, watch this now. He's up in their stuff, these Jews now. But seeing... Ye put it from you. And, and, and notice now, they're not about to miss out on eternal life because they weren't chosen or, or because they, they hadn't been preordained for eternal life or, or because God was withholding their ability to believe it and receive it. No, they were, by their own volition and will, putting it from themselves. Paul is saying, the gospel has come to you and you put it from you. And listen, y'all, every person, Jew or Gentile, anywhere on this planet has that choice. You can receive it and be glorified or you can reject it and be damned. And Paul goes on in verse 46 saying, and because you're choosing to put it from you, watch this real carefully now, y'all. You judge, what's the next word? You judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. As we read from some of the Calvinists last night, it wasn't that God deemed them unworthy of everlasting life because they were, quote, unquote, doomed from the womb by God for reprobation. It was the simple fact, listen, that they determined themselves that they didn't want it. And so Paul says, okay, 
So now that we followed the biblical prescription of taking the gospel to the Jews first, and you yourselves have determined that you don't want it, the end of verse 46 says, Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And verse 48 says, okay, this is our text, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And here it is now. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And I want you to listen very carefully now. We must, to be true to the context, interpret and understand that sentence in light of the same opportunity that the Jews just had. What was the opportunity that they had, y'all? They could receive it or they could reject it. And, And what Paul has just told them is, you yourselves have determined that you don't want it. And what he's saying in verse 48 about the Gentiles is that every one of those Gentiles that ordained or determined that they wanted eternal life, you know what they did? Amen. They believed. And interestingly enough, that that word that's translated here in verse 48 as ordained, it is the same exact word that's translated two chapters over in Acts 15 2 as determined. I, I can say unequivocally to you tonight, I, I can say this to every single person in the whole world, as 1 John 2 2 says. Listen. I can say to every person on this planet that if you determine or you ordain the fact that you want eternal life that's been offered to you through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Anyone. Back in verse 46. God wasn't determining anything for the Jews. The Jews Jews determined not to believe it themselves. And likewise in verse 48, God wasn't determining anything for the Gentiles. And all of the Gentiles who determined they wanted eternal life did the one thing you must do to receive it. Believe. That's that's just as clear as it can possibly be contextually. And the only way to see the text of Acts 13, 48 differently than that is to take the verse out of its context or to have been conditioned to see it through the lens of Calvinistic theology. But in its context, you can never make that verse say what Calvinists say and think that it means. All right, that was sermon number one. You want to go home now? (laughs) Okay, cool. 
And, and, and this is going to be, let's, let's, let this be fun, okay? Uh, we're going we're to hit a hard concept in the Bible, but in the midst of it all, y'all, I wanted to end this conference talking about a biblical view of salvation. And I'm going to take you on a little journey. And uh, it's going to, well, I'll talk about that in just a moment. Let's just look at this next tough little passage in Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And and I want you to just look right now, because we're going to come back to this in just a moment, but I want you to see, do you have the verse there? I I want you to see the last part of verse 2, where God is speaking, and he says, "I, I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. All right. Now, what in the world are we supposed to do with that? Now, I, I, I know what the Calvinists do with that. And we talked quite a bit about that last night. This would be the idea where they get that God, before the foundation of the world, by volition of his own will, chose some people and took pleasure in choosing some people to reprobation and damnation. He takes the same pleasure in offering salvation to some as he does damnation to others. And a lot of it is born out of, I love Jacob, and I hated Esau. All right, now, let's, let's get into this, and, 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 and let, let me tell you how I want to approach it. Um, you know, I, I stay pretty, pretty busy. I'm, we all do. Uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, but there, there's a few shows that uh, Sherry and I like to watch. We kind of get into the whodunit shows, you know, where you, you got to you know, hang with every little detail of everything that's going on. And, and, and we, we DVR them, of course, for the main reason that we don't want to have to endure 20 minutes of commercials in a 60-minute show, but here's the way that it works for, for us. You know, we're watching these whodunit shows. My wife is a freak about it, man. You know, I've got the DVR because I'm a man. That's what we do. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I'm fast-forwarding through the commercials, and, I, you know, I've got the four or five thing going on there. <laughs> you know, I try to stop it real quick, and, you know, so you miss just a little bit of it. And she's, no, 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 back it up can't you know we can't miss a second of this and and it it really is true with a whodunit show now there's a lot of shows that you watch and you can miss two or three seconds or 20 or 30 minutes and not miss a thing but on a whodunit show you can't miss a thing because they're dropping clues all over the place And, and so you know I'm very dutifully rewinding it to make sure we don't miss a thing. Okay, I say all of that because what what we're getting ready to do right now is I want to take us on a little journey through the Word of God. And I want to take you to some places where 
probably places that as you've been reading the Bible, you, you, you come down through it and you, you look at it and you go, okay, I know what that says, but I don't know why that's in there. I don't know what that means. And, and what, what I want to show you here is that in some of these places where God's doing something bizarre, he's also doing something really cool. And so rather than, you know, as we go through this, me tell you all the cool stuff that's happening, what I'm going to do is we're going to approach this like a whodunit show, okay? And we're just going to go through the story, and there's going to be pieces. And so you're going to have to remember Second Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. Workmen, you're going to have to work with me, Okay. I'm not going to spoon feed you tonight. So work with me. Hang with us. Treat this, you know, like the, the whodunit show. Hang with it. Don't miss any of the clues because what I'd love to see is if you could resolve this by the time we get to the end at about midnight tonight. Okay. So, Okay, D don't, don't zone out on your own little commercial break, okay? Because as we, we go through these stories, you're never going to know where a major clue is being laid down. But, okay, the, the real theme of what I want to show you on this little journey is, has to do with this, this thing that the Old Testament refers to as, as the firstborn blessing. And, okay, get your minds wrapped around this now. In a Jewish home, in the days of the Old Testament, and particularly, listen, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the firstborn blessing was the blessing of a father that he imparted to the firstborn son, and thus its name, firstborn blessing. But listen, y'all. It was a majorly big deal. And what made it such a significant thing were actually three things. Number one, it was a material blessing. Sure, yeah, man. All of the sons received an inheritance. But because the leadership in the home would be passed to the firstborn in the event of the death of the father... He, the firstborn son, would receive a double portion. Got that? So it was a material blessing. And then secondly, it was also a ministerial blessing. The firstborn blessing in the passing or the death of the father, what would happen is that the firstborn son would also assume the priestly responsibilities in the home to provide for the, the spiritual well-being for the family. So he would receive the, the, the priestly garments that would be worn in carrying out those responsibilities, what the Old Testament calls the ephod. And then thirdly, it was also a messianic blessing. The firstborn blessing was imparted to the one through whom the Messiah would come. Okay? And the first place you actually see an example of the 
firstborn blessing being imparted is in this story of Isaac in Genesis chapter 27. Feel free to turn there. Again, the verses will be up on the screen, okay? But now, we got, you know, people all over the map here in terms of understanding of the Bible. If you're, you know, maybe not way too familiar with the Bible, let, let me just say this to you. Isaac is a big deal. He's a big deal in the Bible. He's a big deal in the unfolding of God's plan throughout history. And the way that he factors in is that his daddy was also a big deal in the unfolding of God's plan through the ages because his daddy was, anybody know? His daddy was Abraham. And God singles out Abraham one day, and he tells him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a great nation out of the promised child and children that come from your loins, Abraham. And that nation, of course, we call it the nation of, of Israel. And that child that would become the formation of this great nation is the one that we're going to be talking about here. It's, it's Isaac. And... As he grew older, Isaac began to understand that that he was the one through whom God's promises to Abraham would be fulfilled. And and so Isaac takes a a woman to be his wife, and her name is is Rebekah. Okay, of course, the only problem is, is for the, the promise of God through Abraham that is now coming to Isaac, in order for that promise to be fulfilled, they're going to have to have children. And the Bible lets us know that Isaac and Rebekah have the same problem that Isaac's parents, Abraham and Sarah, had. Having a hard time getting pregnant. And he's getting older and older, and it ain't happening. Okay, but Genesis 25 and verse 21 lets us know that Isaac entreats the Lord. In other words, he, he's passionately praying about this thing, that the Lord would help him to get pregnant. And, and so what happens is the Lord answers, and she conceives. But, but as the pregnancy goes on, it, it, it's, it's weird, man, because every day... There's something crazy going on in her womb. There's some kind of turmoil going on in there. And, and so, I mean, it, it wasn't just your, your average, you know, every once in a while you see an elbow come up, you know. It wasn't that. There's something crazy going on there. And so it, it's, it's so disturbing to her that she, she prays and she asks the Lord, about what, what in the world is going on. And, and you'll notice in verse 23 that the Lord answers and tells her, I've just given you the divine ultrasound, and you're going to have twins, girl! I don't know if that's good news or what, but... And, and, and she, she, God says, and they're actually going to become two nations. And one is going to be stronger than the other. And then God throws out this little blockbuster at the end of verse 23. 
and the elder shall serve the younger. Okay, so they're born. These two children, of course, are Jacob and Esau. Okay, don't get confused with all that. Okay, daddies, Isaac, kids are Jacob and Esau. Esau, listen, is the elder, and Jacob the younger, but to this day, have you ever heard anybody talk about Esau and Jacob? How do we say it? Jacob and Esau, because the elder shall serve the younger. And you can see in verses 25 to 27 that Esau, the elder, he comes out of the womb with red hair and lots of it, man. I mean, I, I, this is a little freakazoid, okay? I mean, he comes out with, I mean, he's just a hairy mongrel, man. And, and as he, he grows, he, he, he is rough and he's tough. He, he's the outdoorsman type. He, he's a hunter. He likes to hunt and he likes to cook what he kills. And, and though it shouldn't be this way in parenting, He's the favorite of his father, Isaac. Okay, Jacob, the younger, he's kind of the inside guy, you know. He's not worried about being all macho and, and, and probably for a good reason because he didn't look the part, you know. I mean, he, he's, he's a smoothie. He got no hair. You, you kind of get the idea that maybe, you know, he... He belonged in a GQ magazine or something, you know. If you're having a hard time conceptualizing, just look up here, okay? <laughs> you know, the, the model type. And, and though it shouldn't be this way in parenting, he's the favorite of his mama, Rebecca. You got that picture there? Okay. And by the time we get to Genesis 27... Isaac, daddy, is getting way up in years. His eyes are so bad that he's virtually legally blind at this point. He doesn't know how much longer he's going to be alive. And, and so it comes time now for Isaac to formalize the impartation of the firstborn blessing. Again, remembering that it's a material, a ministerial, and a messianic blessing. And that the, the, the firstborn blessing, remember, goes to the firstborn, which in this case is Esau. And, and let's pick up the story there in, in Genesis chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, My son... And he said unto him, Behold, here I am. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take me some venison and make me some savory meat such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat that my soul may bless thee before I die. Okay, you got the picture? He's, he's going to give him the impartation of the firstborn blessing, and he wants to make this an event, you know? Today, we, he said, hey, why don't we go to Applebee's or something? But, you know, in those days, hey, why don't you cook some of that good 
food that I like, man, and let's sit down and have a moment, okay? And, and verse 5 says that Re- Rebecca overheard the conversation, okay? And so she tells Jacob, her fave, she tells Jacob what she heard, and so she tells him in verse 9, so here's what I want you to do, buddy. I want you to go out and go get two goats, and I'm going to whip up some stew like your father loves, and you can bring it to him, and you can be the one that gets imparted the firstborn blessing. Wow. And, and so uh, Jacob says, Mom, what are you thinking, man? You know Dad's going to be hip to that. I'm a smoothie. He's going to lay his hand on me to impart the blessing. And when he finds out that I'm trying to deceive him, he's going to pronounce, rather than a blessing on me, he's going to pronounce a curse on me. And my life is going to be ruined, Mom. And so Mom says, trust me. Just do what I'm telling you. And so, okay. He's a mama's boy anyway, so he goes, he gets the goats, he brings them to mama, and in no time, she whips up the stew. And, and so what she does, and to give you an idea of just how hairy Esau was, she takes some of, I can't get my mind wrapped around this, but she takes some of Esau's skins from the animals that he's killed, and she attaches them to Jacob's arms and his, and his neck. I mean, this has got to have been one hairy dude, man. (laughs) And so, here comes Jacob, you know, posing as Esau into the living room where dad's, you know, sitting in his lazy boy. And he says, okay, pop, here it is. I got your stew. Remember, Isaac's way up in years. And he says, who is this now? And Jacob says, ah, don't be silly, Dad. I, I'm Esau, your firstborn. Isaac says, how'd you want that animal and get it cooked so fast? And Jacob says, uh, the Lord brought it to me. I, Isaac says, you sure you're Esau? Uh, come over here, boy, and let, let me feel you. So I, I, Jacob comes over where he is, wearing the skins, and, and Jacob says, or I, Isaac says, yeah, yeah, you're Esau, all right, but, but boy, you sure do sound like Jacob. Maybe my hearing's going too. I, you, but you, you sure you're Esau? And so Isaac slams the stew, he gets his belly full, and he says, okay, now, come here, boy. I want you to give me a hug and a kiss now, and let me impart to you the firstborn blessing. And Genesis 27, verses 27 to 29, records how it happened and what was said. And Isaac blesses Jacob, listen, the younger son with the firstborn blessing. And just as the ceremony is over and you know Isaac has flipped the recliner back, you know how we do, fellas, after we eat dinner, and all of a sudden, in pops Isaac, or Esau, and he says, 
Okay, Dad, soup's on. Time for me to bless you with my fine cooking and time for you to bless me with the firstborn blessing. And Isaac gets all freaked out. And he explains to Esau that what was done was done. That he only had one firstborn blessing to give. And it was given. And Esau is freaking out of his mind. Come on, Dad! What are you telling me? It's gone. What? There's only one. And there's no turning it back. What's all that really about? Okay, but it as we're watching our little whodunit, it does lay down some principles that we're going to be, see repeated throughout the rest of the Bible. Okay, listen. The elder serving the younger and the curse coming upon the firstborn and the blessing coming upon the, the younger. You say, I don't know what that means. Okay, remember... We're just watching the movie, and it's th- now the commercials are on, okay? And, and what my wife and I do is we start laying down the pieces together, you know? Okay, so we do Okay, and so that's all we're doing right now. It's the commercial break, we're putting the pieces together. Okay, so let me take the remote now and put it on fast forward to the next installment in the show, and that is the crazy twist in Jacob's impartation of the firstborn blessing. Okay, now... Jacob is the one that just got that firstborn blessing, and he's the younger. Okay, now he is coming to the point where now he's going to impart the firstborn blessing. Okay, so the blessing went to Jacob, whose God changed his name to Israel, so that the nation of Israel will come through his seed, as will the Messiah. And by the time we get to Genesis 48, Jacob is is living in Egypt because his favorite son, they've all got favorite kids, don't do that, okay? Because his favorite son, Joseph, had become the second in command in the whole nation of Egypt. And and, and Jacob is is old at this time. In fact, he's he's so old, he can literally go at any time. And, And Joseph wants his father, Jacob, to bless his sons. And so Genesis 48, 1 says, And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, Manasseh is the firstborn, and so obviously he is listed first. He took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said 
unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Loth in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people, and I will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons, and watch how Jacob, Israel, refers to him. Ephraim and Manasseh. Which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee in Egypt are mine as Reuben and Simeon. They shall be mine. And in verse 10 of Genesis 48, it lets us know that Jacob had the same problem with his eyes that Isaac had his daddy had in his old age and it says that joseph brings his two sons to his father to receive the blessing and jacob kisses him and he hugs him and verse 13 lets us know that joseph was very intentional about how he brought his two sons to his father again he knows that he can't see very well and so he's very careful in how he brings the boys up. And the way that he does it is so that when Jacob puts his hands out to bless them, Jacob's right hand is going to come upon the firstborn, which, of course, is Manasseh. And I think this is a group of people that understands that the right hand in Scripture is the hand of power. It is the hand of blessing. The Lord Jesus Christ is seated, where y'all? At the Father's right hand. And Joseph knows that right hand is to come upon his firstborn, Manasseh. So verse 13 says, And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. So it goes like this, y'all. If, if I'm Jacob, and you're bringing your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, as you're bringing them to me, you're bringing them so that Ephraim is over here in front of my left hand, and Manasseh is over here in front of my right hand. Everybody got that? Verse 14, and Israel stretched out his right hand, and, and try to look at the screen and watch me as we do this. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head. Where is Ephraim? The younger. And his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, he knows what he's doing. He's purposely drop down to verse 17. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And so here they are fighting about where this hand's going to go. 
And his father refused and he said, I know it, my son. I know it. I know what I'm doing. He also shall become a people. And he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day saying, In thee shall all or shall Israel bless look at that phrase in thee shall Israel bless in other words from now on let this be the standard blessing that all the children of Israel use saying God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh and he said Ephraim before Manasseh. And it's interesting that to this day in Orthodox Jewish homes on the Sabbath day, just like Genesis 48 20 says, the Father blesses his children, and you know what he says? The Lord make thee as Ephraim and Manasseh. What's that about, y'all? I mean, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? It makes you look at the pieces and say, okay, I don't know what all this elder serving the younger is about and the curse coming upon the firstborn and the firstborn blessing coming upon the younger, but we'd all have to look at that and say, something's going on, right? Y'all tracking with me? Okay. And so just before the commercial comes on, we fast forward to the next scene, and let me just add this little ditty. Did you know, real important here, did you know that these two stories that we just talked about actually show up in Hebrews chapter 11? Anybody know what Hebrews chapter 11 is really all about? This is the great hall of what? Faith. And, and basically, what, what God does in this chapter is, is he recounts the history of the Old Testament and tells you about all kinds of great men and women who, who, who carried out heroic acts of faith. And what, what that lets us know is that there was something strangely spiritual and prophetic that was actually going on in these stories. Something that was a matter of faith. In fact, look at what Hebrews 11.20 actually says. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Watch this now. You ever see this? Concerning things to come. What happened there at the time that Isaac was giving the blessing was futuristic. Ain't that a doozy? Okay, that, that, that's huge. I, I wonder what that means. And so the commercial comes on. Let's fast forward to the next installment in the saga. 
Another story with a pretty crazy twist in the last book of the Old Testament, and this is really the verse that we're kind of honing in on tonight. The, the crazy twist in God's answer to his people in Malachi. And, and, and what's happening in Malachi is God's people at this point, y'all, like we sometimes do, God's people were bumming, man. They, they were going through one of those times in life where it just you know, kind of seemed like the bottom dropped out of every, everything. Nothing was going right. Nothing was going good. Even to the point where they were questioning God's love for them. Man, there's probably some folks in this room tonight going through some stuff like that. And bless your heart. And I've seen it so many times through the years. Man, life can get tough. And, and you can begin to question even God's love for you. Now, you know, we say stuff like, you know, God, if you, if you love me, why does my kid have this disease? God, if you love me, why am I constantly having financial problems? God, if you love me, why did you take my loved one so soon? Okay, so in Malachi, this is where the people are, man. The people are questioning God's love. And God's going to answer them. Malachi 1 says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Here's God's answer. Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Saith the Lord. Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. Now, I don't know how you read that. I read that, and I, I think to myself, what kind of answer is that? <laughs> you read it like that? I mean, I, suppose you're praying, God, <laughs> I'm having a real hard time just feeling your love for me right now. I look at my situation, and it sure doesn't appear that you love me. And let's say that God comes and he answers to you audibly. We don't believe he does that, okay? We're just pretending, okay? And he says to you, hey, wasn't Esau Jacob's brother as in the firstborn? Yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. You know what you'd say? Uh... With all due respect, Lord, I don't have a clue what you just said. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with the price of tea in China. <laughs> I mean, what in the world does that have anything to do with what's going on in my life? And again, with all due respect, what in the world does that have to do with anything I just said? <laughs> and yet, that was God's answer to his people in Malachi's day. Now, evidently, there's some kind of lesson God intended to teach us about this, this whole Jacob and Esau story we looked at that according to, listen, to Hebrews 11, had to do with something that would take place in the future, but would stand forever 
as the answer to anyone that would ever question the love of God. And boy, that sure ups the ante. And so now let's fast forward to the final clue before we try to put all the pieces together and unravel the case. And that is the crazy twist in God's explanation of salvation through Paul. Okay, so we we come into the New Testament, and and in Romans chapter 9 and verse 3, Paul is expressing just absolute unbelievable concern for the salvation of what he calls, listen, his kinsmen according to the flesh, the Jews. He's expressing so much concern that he says in verse 3 that, that he could wish himself accursed from Christ for him, meaning that, that he would choose hell if it would mean their salvation. And I just got to tell you, man, this guy has got more compassion than I've got. I, I think I can get that with my kids and my grandkids. But boy, I, I'm, I'm telling you, y'all, I'm not so sure that I'm, I'm to the point to where it goes beyond that. You think I'm an idiot because of that? Can you relate? Anybody? Okay. You guys are way more spiritual than me. But in the context of the salvation of the Jews, he says in verse 6 of Romans 9, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And what he's teaching here is basically the same thing that's being taught in Galatians chapter 4, that nobody is a child of God because of their physical birth. But because of their spiritual birth, which he clarifies in verse 8, that is, they which are children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At This time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved but Esau have I hated. And, and as, as we look at this passage here in Romans 9, we can't separate it from everything else that we've been looking at tonight. And so the question is, okay, here, here we go. What does Jacob and Esau and the elder serving the younger and the firstborn receiving the curse, and the secondborn receiving the blessing, how does that have to do with salvation of all things? And this leads to the last thing that will hopefully resolve the case, and that is the crazy twist in God's impartation of the firstborn blessing. Do you, okay, now, everybody huddle up, okay? You remember a few minutes ago, we saw that Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 and 21, tell us that there was a future fulfillment 
of this whole Jacob and Esau thing with hating the elder and loving the younger. There was something futuristic about that. And you know what, y'all? There was. You know where it was? In Christ. Listen, have you ever thought about some of the ways the New Testament presents him, Christ, and, and refers to him? Listen, Romans 8, 17 calls us heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And that we've been adopted into God's family as sons, making Christ our brother, our elder brother, if you will. And, and do you know how Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 and Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 and Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 refers to Christ? It refers to him as the firstborn. And the firstborn among many brethren. And listen, y'all, because of who Christ is, he is entitled to the blessing of the Father. And as I mentioned, the Bible says that he's seated at the Father's what? The Father's right hand. Okay, now listen, if you're saved tonight, if you're born again, if you've had the gift of salvation that Romans 9 talks about, if that, if that gift has been imparted to you, that came to you not because of your physical birth, but it came because of your spiritual birth. And do you know how that actually happened? It happened exactly how everything that we've looked at tonight pictured it for us through Jacob and Esau and Ephraim and Manasseh. It went like this, y'all. There came a time, if you were saved, when the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin. And you understood that you were, just as Ephesians chapter 2 says that you are, that you were helpless, hopeless, Godless, Christless, promiseless, and covenantless. And with that understanding, you know what you did? You humbly approached God's throne crying out for mercy. And you said, God, I know that I am a sinner. And I know that the curse of my sin is upon me. And I humbly ask you to forgive me and impart to me the gift of eternal life. And we certainly didn't understand it at the time. But listen, in asking for the gift of eternal life, you know what we were actually asking for? We were asking for the firstborn blessing. Because you see, God only has one gift of eternal life. 
and it's his son, the firstborn. John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. So, so now, so when we approached God's throne asking for the gift and the blessing of eternal life, Listen, y'all, with his son at his right hand. You know what God did? He reached out his right hand and he placed it on us. And he reached out his left hand and he placed it on his son. The same exact thing that happened in the story of Ephraim and Manasseh. And you know what happened there, y'all? Listen. Our sin was transferred to Christ. And his righteousness was transferred to us. He got our death. We got his life. Our curse was imparted to him and the blessing the firstborn blessing was imparted to us and and you know what all these crazy stories and all of these hard passages to understand that we looked at tonight are really all about they're all about the fact that God would become a man in the person of Jesus Christ to become as it were our kinsmen according to the flesh so that the curse of sin and God's utter hatred for sin might be placed upon his firstborn so that the firstborn blessing of eternal life might come to all of Christ's brethren. That's what's going on in here. And listen now. Very important. Do you understand now why God answered the people the way that he did back in the book of Malachi when they questioned his love for them? I mean, what what seemingly was just out of left field, God says... "Uh, Wasn't Esau the older brother, the firstborn, and yet Jacob got the firstborn blessing, and Esau got the curse? And you know what God was actually saying? He was saying to the the same thing that he said in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. Because you know what 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9 says? In this was manifested the love of God toward us. In other words, if you ever question whether or not God loves you, just look at the fact as the rest of the verse goes on. Just look at the fact that God sent His Son into the world and ultimately to the cross that we might 
live through him. In other words, God's answer to the question of his love is, weren't you the one that received the firstborn blessing? And didn't my son, my firstborn, receive the curse? Isn't that proof enough that I love you? And all of us who know the Lord tonight could say to that, absolutely. And check this out. Do you know what actually happens every Sabbath in an Orthodox Jewish home when the father pronounces blessing on his children saying, God bless you like Ephraim? And Manasseh, remember? That, that was going to be the blessing for all time we saw back there. And what he's actually praying is that the blessing of the firstborn would be transferred to the younger. And so that without even realizing it, you know what he's actually praying? He's praying for his kids' Salvation. And you remember that little story in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 15, where you know the Jewish parents are wanting to bring their kids to this epic Jewish rabbi, and you know he goes by the name of Jesus, and they want him to pronounce blessing upon them. And of course, the, you know the disciples are telling people, "Hey, ain't nobody got time for that." And the Lord rebukes him. He says he was very displeased with them. And verse 15 says, "And he took them, the children." up in his arms and he put his hands upon them and blessed them anybody think that he blessed them with anything other than the blessing that was to be for all of Israel for all time it was the Jewish blessing God bless you like Ephraim and Manasseh so you know what he was actually praying he, as their older brother, was praying that the firstborn blessing that was rightfully his would come upon them. And he, too, was actually praying for their salvation. And listen very carefully now. I don't know who all is out here on a Wednesday night but I just want to say to every person in this room that you can be the recipient of the firstborn blessing. And you know who actually becomes the recipient of it? Every person who approaches the throne and cries out to God for Him to be merciful to them a sinner. And if you're here tonight and you have never done that, listen, if you will humbly approach God's throne and cry out to Him for the forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life, do you know what He'll do for you tonight? He'll take His left hand and move it across his body and place it on his son. And he'll take his right hand and move it across his body and place it 
on you and he'll impart to you the firstborn blessing of eternal life. Let's bow our heads together.